0: good morning solano church um i'm gonna give our scripture reading for this morning and then go into our sermon so our scripture reading is from philippians chapter 1 verse 27 through chapter 2 verse 2 only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of christ engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Uh, Let me pray for us. Lord, Father, as we um, approach you and come to you, I pray, O oh Lord, that our eyes will be opened more and more to the glory and the greatness and the goodness of who you are and what it is that you've done to save us and to bring us to yourself. So Lord, as we go through the struggles of living our life in this world and trying to figure things out, I pray that our eyes would turn to you, that we would in stillness, see you and then be in awe of you and, and worship you and delight in you so be with us during this time and may your spirit work in our hearts O oh lord to to transform us to become more like you your sons and i pray amen okay so what we're going to be looking at today is to see what a life that is worthy of the gospel looks like and it's primarily going to be a church that strives side by side In Christ together but before I go into all of that I'm going to give a brief introduction about who who I am and my own experience for what my church experience has been like and I realize that shows a lot about a Christian when they start sharing about those things so it's like sort of like a short testimony so my name is Martin Kang I'm the communications manager here at Solano of Sloan Church, and I did not know being a communications manager meant I have to preach on Sundays. So, Andrew, I think you've got to make a little job description change or something. No, I'm just kidding. But it's just I, I, I don't do this very frequently at all. But anyway, so I grew up in a Korean-American immigrant church in L.A. My dad was a seminarian, so he was an intern at that church, and I sort of was born into that church. But what's interesting is that I went to church twice on Sundays. I used to go in the morning to a white majority church in Pasadena. Went there for about three years. Um, So I was sort of immersed in church culture. Um, When I was nine, my family moved to Korea. And there I actually attended a a white majority church while I was in Korea. And, And I still remember at that point, having gone to church for 14, 15 years, I still thought that I was saved by my works. I still thought I had to be good enough. I had to have this, like, there's this little balance that I need to be on the right side of this balance in order for me to be saved or to go to heaven. And that started changing when my family moved back to the States. I attended a Korean American church in Los Angeles. And there is when I grew significantly. I started hearing the gospel, at least clearly for the first time. I saw what the richest of faith looked like, and to a youth student, like we, I never really sang praise songs before or heard praise songs before. So that whole experience and the exposure to that um, made me start deeply considering what christianity was really about and i eventually came to understand the gospel or to know that jesus christ died on the cross for my sins when i was about 15 years old at this prayer meeting and that radically changed the the direction and um, the attitudes that i had toward my life okay so after high school i came up to the bay area and i And I, for college, and I started attending a church in, a Korean American church in Daly City. And what's interesting is like part of the reason I wanted to come up to the Bay Area was to attend that church because they were like really deep in theology. I remember my aunt saying once, oh, if you send your son there, it's going to be like he went to four years of seminary. So that was one of the big motivations for me to come up here alongside with school. And while I was there, I did grow a lot. But one thing that I also experienced was right after college, I started really struggling with why is the church the way it is, right? Because when I went to church, there was so many of my college friends had started falling away from the faith. Um, You see there's so much division within the church. There were, um, and there's so much worldliness in the church as well, so much pain and hurt. And I started asking if, the church is the, are the people of God, then why is there so much of this, so many problems, right? And, yeah, why is there so many problems, so much worldliness? And as I started really deeply looking into the scripture, started reading books, studying theology, really wrestling with it, And as I was struggling with the church, I also started struggling with my own faith and looking at my own life and wondering what it is that really made me a Christian. Was it the cultural values? Was it the community that was there? Was it the morality of it? Was it the good theology of it? Like, what really was it? One book that changed the way that I saw all of this was Dietrich Bonhoeffer's The Cost of Discipleship. And this goes, like, in the first two or three chapters. It, like, it shifted the way that I, th- I thought. One thing I learned was that it's the, the costliness of grace was being lost in the church. And we were just living under a, a cheap grace and not really understanding the weight and the, disciple, and the, weight and the value of Christ's um, sacrifice for us and also what it meant for an individual to single-mindedly um, obey Christ and to follow Christ. Another bigger example for me was the Apostle Paul. As I was wrestling through, again, reading the, the epistles, it was made clear to me that Paul did everything that he did for the sake of the gospel. That was his driving passion. That's the one he was willing to live and die for. And when I recognized that, I started asking that question, is the gospel, this sounds obvious to me now, but at the point, at the time, I was like, is the gospel really the most important thing? Is is that the thing that we're supposed to build our lives around? And as I was studying the scripture, looking into it more, reading more books again, it was pretty obvious that Christianity is about the gospel. Okay, so 15 years since that, all that struggle, here I am, and it wasn't a simple journey, right? There's a lot of challenges and struggles still along the way, but I'm all the more convinced and that my hope is in the gospel and our hope is in the gospel of Christ alone, okay? So, so far in our um, series on JoySpring, here's some minor facts about um, the church in Philippi or the Philippians. Just a reminder again that Paul is imprisoned in Rome at this point most likely and he's riding to the church of Philippi. They have about at this point it's estimated that 75 or 100 members. It's a pretty small church right compared to what we're familiar with. Um, Philippi was also a Roman colony meaning many who lived in Philippi were of a special status meaning they had Roman citizenship and Philippi was actually about 800 miles away from Rome and for Them, yeah, so it was for them, it was like a pride, a deep sense of pride that they had so many Roman citizens, they had so many rights and privileges. And even if you weren't a Roman citizen there, you desired that status because you saw how good it was. Okay. And lastly, if we look at Acts 16 when it talks about the church of Philippi, we recognize to some degree that it was pretty diverse, right? Because the first converts there, Lydia who's possibly like we can compare to like a CEO of a a fashion company right she was a seller of 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 pearl uh not pearl purple purple linens right things like that um we could there's a slave girl who was demon possessed but it was prophesying but then she get the demon gets cast out and it's possible that she became a member of that church as well um, and there's also a, uh, the, the Roman jailer, right? Who was probably a soldier who had retired, became a jailer, and he himself got converted. Sort of like a blue collar worker, right? And we see the diversity already in that church in those three people. And we, it's most likely that church was more diverse even than that. So. And so far, again, in our series on Joy Spring, there's, Paul talks about in the Book of Philippians these three things: about his partnership with the Philippians in the gospel, his own circumstances and suffering that furthers the gospel, and his commitment for the Philippians to grow in the gospel. So, up till cha- chapter one, is all about Paul and his involvement with the gospel. Okay, so. Again, in our previous message, Paul says he would rather die and be with Christ but for the sake of the church, he's committed to remain for their progress and for their faith. But he hopes one thing from them. He says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Okay, So if I break this down, only means you're all embracing occupation. Okay, the manner of life is an interesting Greek word. It actually means the obligations and privileges of citizenship, right? And it's that means you, it's sort of alluding to a special status that some of the um, citizens, the people who lived in Philippi had as Roman citizens. Worthy, it means living a life that matches the whole. And finally, the gospel of Christ, right? The gospel of Christ, just to make sure I, I get this in there, is the good news of salvation. That it's not by our own works that we, we have a relationship with God or are saved, but it's by the grace of God in the work and death of Christ for our sake. Okay? So if I paraphrase this, it's let your all-embracing occupation be living out a life that matches the obligations and privileges of your citizenship the kingdom of God, right? That's meant to be what we're extremely focused on as Christians, okay? Um, Miguel, who's our worship director, loves the phrase, the kingdom of God, the kingdom. He has it tattooed on his arm, right, in Greek. And when he started talking about this stuff, when I started working, I started, is that really, like, what's central about about christianity like that you would get it tatted on isn't it the gospel and i think one comforting thing was that when i started like wrestling with this i was reading some commentary because i do that for fun sometimes (laughs) not many people do and there was one line that said pretty much that in the new testament salvation and the kingdom of god are virtually synonymous Right, so from that perspective, it actually enlarged my own conception of the kingdom of God is, and I might mix that up of while I'm going through the sermon. So just keep your eye open for that. Okay, um, so if our citizenship is in heaven, how are we as people who live in the Bay Area in America today? How are we called to live, right? And what? Right now, does the manner of life worthy of the gospel look like? So a church, what that looks like is a church that's united by and for the faith of the gospel, okay? Paul continues, he says, So that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything of your opponents. There's three points here. And the first one is about standing firm in one spirit. Okay, So in your Bibles, the spirit might be a lowercase s, which generally means that it means grasping eternal things in faith. But some commentaries say it's probably talking about the capital S spirit, right? That we stand together firm in one spirit in God, okay? So standing and sort of borrowing the term that comes later, striving side by side, are military terms, Again, And in Philippi, again, there's a lot of ex-military guys who live there. And so Paul's like weaving that back into the context. And it's this whole idea that you're standing your ground side by side with other people. okay, Defending something. C.S. Lewis in his book, The Four Loves, talks about this as friendship. That you have a—it's not necessarily you have a tight relationship with the person next to you, but because you're defending something and you prize something together, you're willing to stand side by side and and have and defend something, right? And have a common shared interest. Okay, so we can and yeah, it's because you consider the thing that you're defending important, beautiful, and valuable. We see this kind of unity in many ways in this world. Um, You can go from the small light things, like I'm a Dodger fan. And I know Ann Yamada, Alex Thomas, Jeff DeFabio, we're all Dodger fans. So we talk about this. Woo! Right? So there's that. Okay? It's great. And we won the World Series, so that's even better. Um, There's this love of coffee that I have, which binds me to a bunch of people like Violet, Ken, and Dave, Jason, Justin, Dan, Glenn. We're all addicted, so it goes on. It's an endless list. Um, There's um, food experiences. I look at Alan's. Um, Instagram feed all the time because he has the best food, and I'll, I'll comment on it all the time. I'll share a bunch of food with people. A lot of people have the same thing. Half of our church are all, we went to the same school, it seems like, so if you can say it with me, go Bears, right? Maybe not here, but anyways. but so there's these, all these commonalities that we have, but, and we find unity in these things, but the problem is, to the Dodger fans, if I decided one day I'm going to become a Giants fan, what would they think about me? You're a traitor, right? If I decide, oh, coffee is not good for me, I'm just going to drink tea. I have no more conversations with these guys about coffee, right? Or, and then it goes into all these different things that if I start losing interest or not, I'm just not interested in, or care about those things anymore, then we lose unity in that right this can even go into deeper things like we value family our political persuasions the neighborhoods that we live in our ethnic groups our workplace and even a church a visible church community but we all have negative experiences with all of these things like families break up and it's heartbreaking but it happens Political parties turn into big messes, right? That you don't want to be a part of anymore at some point. Or there's certain things that you disagree with and you realize, I might not belong here anymore. Um, neighborhoods change, right? Gentrification, things like that. Things don't stay the same the way that we wanted to. I mean, you lose that deep unity even in ethnic groups, which seems something that's more permanent because you're just born into it. But the struggle becomes, say that if I were to marry an African-American would my ch- and we had a child, will my child still be considered a Korean-American? Will they still be accepted in that community? And I know there will be questions, deep questions about that. Okay? And so there's all these problems with unity, right? That even though it's something that we desire and we seek and we think we have at times, it can be very fleeting. This goes even to like great, huge things, like when we think about war, justice, truth, equality, freedom, and rights right we can find unity people who might have the same idea, but we see even in our culture now there 's great division and conflict because of these things. We might be able to find that in like halves or fraction factions, but in terms of a greater unity as a people and as a nation it's entirely elusive okay so what is the solution to unity right what is god's ultimate solution to this and it's unity in the spirit of christ right that is far superior to anything else and let me sh- give up some some examples of why it's so much better right first of all it's a cosmic eternal unbreakable unity right Each individual member of this community or this kingdom was purchased and bought by God himself, right? Each individual was clean, cleansed, and redeemed by the life and blood of Christ. He creates a new nation, a new heart, new spirit, new life, new united identity. And it's not something that we can choose for ourselves, right? But it's something that happens outside of us. And it's something that God has done and that he's decided upon. So that's our unity in the spirit, right? It's supernatural, it's eternal, it's what God has brought together, and surely nothing can separate, okay? Secondly, Paul speaks that with one mind, um, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, right? This is to understand that we are to have one mind in Christ. Paul's going to elaborate this later in, the, in, in chapter 2 of Philippians. But for now, I'm just going to touch into it. It says, like, but with the gospel of Christ, we have an ideology or system of thought that stems from our own personal salvation, our own experience in Jesus Christ. It's the gospel and the character of Christ that shapes our thinking we are we like as christians we have a shared equation of thinking and ideology that forms a basis of how we process everything together okay this is the, this is critical in our unity to know how we ought to live together as christians right but there's many challenges that we face first ones um, are American ideologies, right? These aren't necessarily Christian. These aren't Christian, I'm going to say straight up. There's element. It's it's sort of like a a broken system, right? Especially from a Christian perspective. So there's individualism. These are going to sound very normal to us, just, just to let you guys know too. There's individualism, right? Individual rights, personal responsibility, being free from societal pressures, right? There's this idea in our country that, that permeates everything that we do. Um, the concept of freedom, freedom of religion, freedom of press, freedom of assembling, speech, pursuit of happiness. Um, we, you're, you're free to do what you want to do as long as it doesn't impede the freedom of somebody else. Right? Um, we really believe this as a country. And then the idea of a meritocracy. You get what you deserve and you deserve what you get. Right. It's very, it's, it's harsh if you think about it, but that's the way that we tend to think, right? If you want it, you've got to earn it, and that's why you deserve it, okay? But what's different about Christianity? What's different about the Christian ideology in the gospel, okay? And a great place to see that is the Sermon on the Mount. It's in the Sermon on the Mount, it's called Jesus' Inaugural Address to the Kingdom of God, and in the first part of that, he, he lays out the character of the, his citizens, and it's called the Beatitudes. And I'm going to read just the first half of each verse to show the character of the people, not the blessings that they get, just to make a point. And let me read through that real quick. So Matthew chapter 5, verse 3 to 10 says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And we, when we look at this and we compare it to, again, the American ideology, it's so different. This looks so weak and vulnerable, right? But the character of the kingdom of God are for people like these, right? They're the ones who are blessed. They're the ones who are favored, okay? Um, what we see in the kingdom of God, again, is that righteousness, humility, mercy, single-mindedness on Christ, reconciliation, suffering is what's important and valuable. And again, we're going to be looking into the mind of Christ more deeply in in the coming weeks as we look into the second chapter of, of uh, Philippians, but as we look into this now, it's important that we have to look at the culture and the world around us and realize that it's, we are not a part of this world as Christians, okay? American values are different from Christian values, okay? Immigrant values are even different from Christian values. Like, ethnic values are different from Christian values, okay? So what does our counter community values look like, okay? It 's a community that's striving side by side for the gospel. It involves deep gospel form thinking and struggling together for the gospel. Um, this isn't an individual effort. it takes a community to do this okay so i 'm single there's so, woo, <laughs> so there's such a desire to work out my problems on my own. I think if you, as you get older as a single person, that's more and more the case, right? You feel like, but then what I also realize is that it's more, it's harder and harder to do things on your own. There's certain habits or certain ways I've done stuff so for the rest of my whole life that are broken, and to try to fix that, it's so much work. And this becomes even harder as, um, during a pandemic, when I can't even see people, so I took, like, a few days off a couple weeks ago, and I was literally, didn't have to do work, like, there was a shelter in place, couldn't go anywhere, and I was just sitting at home by myself, and I was like, what is this miserableness of, like, str- like, just being by myself, and there's, like, sins I was struggling with, I was like, there's, it's so hard to break out of it, like, there's times when I had to deeply pray and wrestle with God, and in that sense, it was good, but I realized I deeply needed community. And once I got back to work, it was great, right? And maybe because it's the people I work with her. <laughs> but anyways, so. Um So, yeah, I was going to say, and it's so hard to figure out, but once I, like, came back into the office, talked to Andrew about stuff, talked to Miguel about things, or talked to Terry, some things I struggle with just become open very quickly, right? Because as we talk about it from a gospel perspective, we start understanding, not just from my own understanding, but from, like, a communal gospel understanding. We're able to come to deeper and more comprehensive Um, understand or appreciation and love for what Christ has done for us okay so um, I would encourage us even though in our we have our families right even we have our communities now we have our church life but I encourage us to go even deeper with it right Solano has our elders our council home groups various teams where you can get involved with but we need to Build more deeply and more richly into gospel-shaped and, and belief on issues and even our own individual decisions on what we ought to do in our lives. And we need to stem that all from the gospel of Christ himself. Okay? These, we need to have deep, honest, and real conversations, as hard as they may be. And we have to wrestle against the spirit of the world, yet seeking biblical and gospel based truths on how we ought to live together and strive together for Christ. Um, so I encourage you, if you're not involved in any of the things that we're doing or minutely involved, I encourage you to get involved. If you're in leading any of these ministries, I encourage you, let's go deeper. Let's encourage each other even more so you can be more effective in proclaiming the gospel and experience the gospel together as a church. Okay. Um, <clears throat> third thing that Paul brings out, I'll check in time is he encourages us to not to be frightened by anything of your opponents, right? In essence, he's saying to be courageous in action. So I realize, obviously, one prohibitive factor to action is fear, right? It's like feel of failure, feel of risk of being wrong, feel of rejection. Isn't? I and mean, when we consider the Christian life and the challenges that we face, most of our problems come from fear, Okay. For example, like holiness. Who wants to be holy, right? And yeah, as Christians, I ought to be. I want to be. But there's this deep sense, this is a dated term, deep sense of FOMO on the world, right? We're fear of missing out on the world. We don't want to miss out all these pleasures what other friends are doing, things like that. So we holiness becomes something that we're afraid to embrace because there's a cost to that, right? Christian community Tim Keller says everyone says they want community and friendship, but mention accountability or commitment to people, and they run the other way, right? We want this, but we realize um, there's a fear of being honest with other people and being committed to other people, okay? When we think about evangelism, there's like a fear, obviously, of being rejected, fear of misrepresenting Christ, fear of being perceived awkwardly, or fear of jeopardizing relationships, right? And what Paul says here, though, is that just do, not be of, of, do not be frightened in anything by your opponents. Okay? And we know that in the Bay Area, if you live the way that Christ calls you to live, if you proclaim the gospel, you're going to have opponents. Okay, um, let me just run through some things really quick. What types of opponents you might you might face? Like intellectually, you'll definitely have opponents for those in academia, for students, teachers, scientists, and that those whole aspects of it, um, you'll be challenged, right? Because of what you believe in the gospel, um, the idea of financial security even will be challenged if you really believe in the gospel. Right? Of being generous to the poor, not accumulating wealth, et cetera, et cetera. Relationally, there's opposition to this because we think about our, our, our sex ethic, about our romantic relationships, about um, the relations that you might have people with outside your socioeconomic status or your ethnicity might bring many different challenges. Okay? Um, and the list goes on, but First Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, Paul says, for the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it's a power of God to us who are being saved. Okay? So the suffering and the rejection that we experience and the opposition we experience is a kind of suffering because of our faith in the gospel. And Paul says that this is a clear sign of your destruction. This is a clear sign of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. So what is it? that we believe it. What is the grace of believing and suffering, okay? It's to really know again that our salvation is from God. The negative to this, real quick, is that there is no other salvation apart from the gospel. There's no salvation um, in a political order, scientific discovery, no amount of social or economic justice is going to save us from ourselves, right? We can, we can resolve this whole climate change issue But it's not gonna resolve our fundamental problem. It's our self, our selfishness, and us being in the grasp of the deceiver. It's only God's means of salvation in Christ that can save humanity and all of creation. Okay? And in response to this character of God, we definitely pray and work towards earth on earth as it is in heaven, right? But our hope doesn't rest in man-made systems or man-made devices. As a Christian, we know that we may never taste the sweetness of the kingdom of God in this world, in its fullness, but our hope and faith is that we'll savor its fullness in Christ in eternity, right? This is just a blip of the timeline of eternity. And we can suffer now, we can reject things now, and have hope in what Christ is prepared for us and is doing for us. So just like the Philippians were a citizen of a different city while they still lived in Rome, Right? As for us, we are citizens of a different city, of a better country, nation, kingdom, than in this world. Right? It's, we have the mindset of loving our neighbors. We want to benefit the city that we live in. But the, at the same time, we recognize we're citizens of the, of the kingdom first, it, with the rights and privileges and responsibilities of that kingdom. And of a salvation that far exceeds the ties and allegiances that we ought to have with this world. Okay. So, how is that, again, possible? Okay. It's in our unity in spirit, our unity in our mind, and our unity in courage together as a church. And we see this explicitly in the case of Christ. Right, He says, Christ prays for us in John chapter 16, verse 33, saying that in me... Oh no, let me back up. John sixteen thirty-three. he says to his disciples, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Right? It's this deep sense that even though the world is there, Christ has overcome it. Um, Paul continues in Philippians saying, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Okay, So Why does God give us suffering, right? Why is it granted to us? Suffering proves that true faith is not only knowing the gospel in our heads, but it's experiencing it internally and also experiencing it externally and outside of ourselves. And the difficult question is, is how am I supposed to live this way? It's very difficult, very challenging. How is that possible? Um, if someone from the Warriors came up to me and said, hey, Martin, I don't know if there's a game tomorrow, but you're starting. You're going to be the starting point guard for the Warriors tomorrow. You're going to take Steph Curry's place, and it's going to be you. And I'd be, okay, the last time I played basketball was, I don't even remember how long ago, and I wasn't very good at it. So I, it's not, I'm not going to be good at all. There's no way that that's going to happen. But if... Steph Curry came to me and said, okay, I'm going to give you all my experience, all my—I don't know how I would do this—all my experience, all my talent, all my ability, my height, my muscles, and every aspect of who I am to you, would you be able to do it? And I'd wonder, I'm not sure, but it's possible. It might work. It might happen. I might be able to, right? And that's our identity, again, as Christians, is to know that us in and of ourselves, this is impossible for us. But again, to recognize what Christ has done for us in the gospel, this becomes possible. Paul says this in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in God, in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. This is hard, but it's the gospel that enables us to live the way that God calls us to live. Um, Paul ends us in Philippians, saying that in their suffering, that they are engaged in the same conflict that you saw and I had, and now here that I still have. Right? This can be a challenge to us as leaders, especially because I'm even preaching here, that we need to be great examples to the flock of the faith. Most churches are going to be limited by the growth of their leaders, and that's an encouragement for us, especially in this day and age, to bind together in the gospel and encourage each other in faith to live lives that are willing to face suffering for the sake of the kingdom. Okay? Um, but Paul still recognizes that this goes beyond just a personal example, and he presses into the gospel. Okay? So what he shows us is that our place of unity is in God himself, right? God unites us with himself. And this is in chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. He says, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, okay, think about this. Have you ever experienced encouragement in Christ? Right? For a Christian, this is like, of course I have, right? It's so deep and so real. Let me count the ways, okay, or some of them. So, when I feel like I don't measure up, Christ is there, right? He measures up. He's able to. When I'm stuck in sin and I feel like I cannot get out, Christ covers my sin and forgives me, okay? When I feel alone, rejected, and worthless, Christ is with me and he's more than enough, okay? When I'm discouraged, self-condemning, or I don't feel like I deserve forgiveness in Christ, the greatness of love of Christ covers me. It's, is there any encouragement in Christ, guys? We've all deeply have been encouraged in Christ, okay? Um, Paul continues on to say, if there's any comfort from love, okay? Commentaries talk about this is pointing towards the love of God. We don't, of love of God the Father. We don't normally associate with that in our culture, but um, in the context, that's what it's talking about. So, have we ever been comforted by the love of the Father, Okay, what does God the Father do? He willed our salvation. He made a plan for us in Christ to save us and made an amazing way for us to be reconciled to him, right? It's an amazing, eternal, and beautiful way, okay? He gave us his own son for us. With the cosmic cost of that, I don't think we'll ever really comprehend, but it's something deep and real, right? And God is a God who pursues us, who desires us, who works all things for good for us, right? And who went through heaven and hell in order to save us. And when we see that, have we ever questioned it? Is there any, com- is there any um, comfort from the love of the Father? Of course, there's deep comfort, right, that we've all shared in this. And finally, is there a participation, which also means the fellowship with the Spirit? Okay, have you ever had fellowship with the Spirit? And as, all, as Christians, it's so obvious that we have, right? It's so rich that we have, okay? How do you know that you... Have you ever felt that you're fully forgiven, fully accepted as you are, and assured that you were loved, loved by God, right? That's a spirit doing that. It's him doing that, okay? Have you ever been in a community of believers who have encouraged you, who have helped you through difficult times, who have taught you about the gospel, pointed you toward Christ? And all, again, as Christians... That's what the Spirit does, and we've all experienced that. Have you ever heard, when you're struggling with, in prayer, have you ever heard the word of grace come to you? When you felt like you could not go on anymore, that, and to know that God is with you and that you are not alone, right? Again, that's the Spirit of God, right? The fellowship with the Spirit. And we all know this. And says, Paul says, if you know this, if this is real to you, he says, "Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord in one mind." He's pretty much saying, "If you have this experience with God, have it with one another as well. Right? Love one another as well." Um, what's amazing? I'm just going to jump to this next level. What's amazing? And this is a, I, I can't comprehend this, but I love it. Is that? What Paul is talking about here, we've we've talked about the three members, the three persons of the Trinity here. And God is, in the gospel, is inviting us into the joyful dance of the Trinity, right? We talk about Joy Spring. Where does Joy Spring from? It springs from God himself, okay? And what he does is that he brings us literally into himself to share the joy that he has In John chapter 17, verse 20 through 23, um, Jesus prays for his disciples, but also prays for us. He says, I do not ask for these only, like his disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, which is us, right? That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them, you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Right. This is crazy. Just the concept that God loves you as he loves Jesus Christ. The perfect son did everything he was supposed to do, died even to the point of death. You will I mean any parent would love a child that would do that for them. But he was willing to give him up for our sake, right? And but then the idea that we could be enmeshed with that deep love of God, right, is unfathomable. Especially us had being sinners, us had been rejected God, and alienated from God. To be imagine Adam and Eve being kicked out of the garden, right? That was our fate. But then Recognize in in Christ that we are deeply loved, infinitely, eternally loved. Okay, um, so. This encouragement, this love, this fellowship in the Godhead is a life that dwells in you now as a Christian. This is a life that we should share together as a church, and it's the basis of our unity. So as a church, to live a life worthy of the gospel, we want to glorify God and make this manifested in this time and place as much as possible. We want to see the love of God living and alive, and the place that we see that is when our, our local church. It's in our home groups. It's in our Emmaus groups. It's in the in the fellowship that we have together, um, as Salon Community Church. Life is a struggle, right? We live in a sinful world with grave injustices and pain, unrealized potential, deception and weariness. But remember the depth of hope that we have in our shared salvation, right? God in the gospel has created a society, a people and a home for us in himself that will last for eternity. Okay. Let me pray for us. Lord, Holy Father, Thank you for for loving us. Um, Thank you for saving us and bringing us to yourself. Thank you for giving us your son and working out this this crazy um, way to save us that is not only crazy, but it's eternal and it's good. And Lord, as we um, step away from this high view and we leave this space and we're just walking on our feet again in this world with a pandemic. It was still racial injustice, with still economic um, inequity. So many challenges and deceptions that we have to live through. I pray, O oh Lord, that we will look encourage each other as a community to look to you, to look to the life and the hope that we have in you, in your son, through your spirit, in your love. So I pray that you would continue to bless us, continue to strengthen us, Allow us to be bold witnesses of your gospel and bold proclaimers and people who experience it on a daily and normal basis. So again, I thank you for your grace and your son's name I pray, amen.